listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I hope you have your Bible with you and something good to drink. Get out some notes because... I want to deal with this. I don't want to take time. I want to jump right in. Uh, share it. Share the broadcast. If you didn't get a chance to yet, it needs to be heard, especially today. And I'm going to tell you why, uh, about what's going on behind the scenes. But there was a devastating mistake made by seeker-sensitive churches and the seeker-sensitive movement itself. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'll define it a little bit for you. Uh, Late 80s, early 90s, they started determining that, and and out out of a good heart, literally, I believe a genuine heart, that we need to see more church growth, that we needed to have more church growth. Don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. Um, Need to see more church growth. I agree with you. So then the question was, how do we go about having church growth? What do we, what can we do to create more church growth? Um, and apparently, rather than uh, looking at the example of the early church, which, by the way, exploded even in the midst of extreme persecution, and instead of doing what they did or what the Word of God says, Uh, this group that decided to, whether you want to call it emergent churches, the emerging church, the cutting edge church, the, you know, relevant church, the seeker sensitive movement, what they decided to do was to try to create an experience that was sensitive to the seeker, thus the name. Um, what that means is we're going to, uh, craft an experience. We're going to curate an experience in our churches that would be sensitive to the needs of those who are seeking. Now, whatever that means to you, if it's people that maybe had, um, and maybe this was their goal, those that had been to church before, that maybe were hurt by the church, that were now out of church, but somehow still seeking, or maybe it was also to those that were uh, unsaved, that were not serving the Lord. Maybe they didn't have a previous church experience. And so we want to target them as well. And so um, what they did is they decided to create a uh, an environment, an experience in their churches that would be, quote unquote, sensitive to the, the, the feelings, the desires of those seeking, whether it's somebody who doesn't have a church that has previous experience in church or to an unbeliever. Now, I'm not against um, the idea of church growth. The, the sad thing is some people are. There are actually some people that are against church growth. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But the, literally there are. There are people, I've had them speak to me because you know I talk about this. I talk about ex, the, the church expanding, the church growing. I've actually had people say to me, you know, well, Brother Ted, I don't believe that. I believe God has a plan for big churches, and then I believe God has a plan for small churches. 
that God wants some of his churches to be big to facilitate uh, what a big church does. And then I believe God wants some small churches to facilitate what a small church does. I always thought that was crazy because if you study the word of God and study the way God works, our God is a God of increase in every area. He increases every area of your life. He increases his church. In fact, and I know that Jesus was speaking of the church at large, but Jesus said in the book of Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so even though he was speaking in context of the church at large, the whole body of believers on the earth, you have to understand that if you believe what he said, then even no, no matter what part of the world you live in, no matter what church you're a part of, if you're a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is building that should be going on, growth. You know, things that are alive grow. If you're, um, <laughs> if you're making any notes, put that in the comments. Things that are alive grow. And so people have argued with me. They've actually said, no, no, no. God has a sovereign plan. He wants some churches to stay small, to be small. He wants some churches to be large, which is foolish. Because think of it this way. If you're just obeying the Great Commission, literally, if you're just doing what we were commanded to do as believers, just without having a church growth plan, your church would grow just from obedience to the Great Commission. You know, by the way, it's not our job to create converts. It's our job to make disciples. There's a big difference. Big difference between creating converts and making disciples. We're commanded to make disciples. And the, let me explain quickly to you the difference between a convert and a disciple. A convert is somebody that may pray the prayer, somebody that may get saved. It always cracks me up. If I hear a pastor say like, well, we just, you know, we want to get them saved. Or an evangelist says, we just want to get them saved. You know, we don't care where you go to church as long as you go. I care where you go to church. It matters where you go to church. We've done whole broadcasts on that. I'm not going to get into it today, but it matters where you go to church. And um, so if you're just obeying the great commission, literally, your church will grow. But the question that we have to answer is this. If we make disciples, how is that different than a convert? Well, a convert can pray a prayer and become a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been converted to Christianity. But that doesn't mean you're a disciple yet. A disciple, think of the, the root word there. A disciple is someone who follows the discipline of whatever group they're following. The discipline. So understand something. We're not to make just uh, people who have prayed the prayer and then say, hey, good luck. Hope you make it. It's like, it would be like if you had a baby and then threw it into the woods and said, hey, have a great life. Hope you make it. It's going to die. And the same thing happens with people who are not discipled. They pray the prayer. They are converted. And, and I believe truly converted. They're saved. But then if you're not properly discipled, if you're not raised up properly, how will you have a healthy relationship in the Lord? So disciple, the word disciple from the root word of, you know, we, it's where we understand discipline. It's, it's somebody who follows the disciplines 
that are laid out in the word of God for the New Testament church. It blows my mind because there's so many people that want to call themselves Christ, a Christian, but they don't follow, they don't obey what the word of God says at all. It just gives a bad name to the whole group. You know, people going around, well, I'm a Christian. You know, it's like for, for years, like the, the KKK was, they, you know, they all proclaimed like they were God fearing, you know, Christians. We, that's a lie. You know, the KKK going around acting like they're God fearing people. The Bible says in first Corinthians or first John chapter four, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, then you're a liar and the love of God's not in you. So, you know, there's anyone can say that they're a Christian, but Jesus said, it's not about what you say. According to Christ, the Bible says in uh, John chapter 14 and verse 21, that the only people that truly love Jesus are those that have his commandments and obey them. That's a disciple, by the way. That's a disciple. That's not a convert. That's a disciple. Those who have his commandments and obey them. So you have to obey the word of God if you're a child of God. So I'm not against um, church growth. I think we obviously, according to what Jesus said, what we saw in the early church, of course we should have church growth. All, just to get this out of the way, just to get this out of the way and put it in the comments, all churches should grow. There's, there's no other way around that. Put it in the comments. All churches should grow. There's no, no question. I mean, like, love you, Ted and Ashley. There's no, no question about that. All churches should grow. Put it in the comments section. For anybody that disagrees with me on that, they're literally living in a dream world. The Bible does not teach stagnation. It doesn't teach decrease. Cracks me up because even people that believe in increase will act like it's not a big deal. Well, you know, it's not not every church is meant to be a mega church. It, it, it's not about being a mega church or you know whatever you may think about that term. It's about the fact that Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. You look at the early church and they exploded all over the place. In the midst of extreme persecution, they still grew. Thousands were added daily to the church. And I know that means the church at large. But you have to understand this, that we don't even have the kind of persecution in America that they had. Not anywhere close to what they had in the first three centuries of the church and in the midst of death threats, they were growing like in an, insane, in an insane rate, at an insane rate. All churches should grow. Just by following the Great Commission, your church would grow. Just by compelling them to come in, just by winning souls, just by making disciples, just by that, your church would grow. Think about the fact that a few years ago, it was reported that the average size of the of a church in America was about 80 to 85 people. Now, in 2020, it's reported that the average size of a church in America is about 60 to 65 people. So that's a declining statistic. It's not an, in, an increasing statistic. That's a problem. You should have church growth. People should be coming in to the church. They had such a problem with this in Canada, with the largest Pentecostal denomination in Canada, and it's the same in America, don't think I'm discriminating, uh, that they actually began to uh, begin an initiative to send elders out to the churches just trying to figure out 
What are you doing that after a year is finished, you don't have any converts, nobody has has been reported saved, you're having no baptisms, no baptisms in the Holy Ghost, healings, miracles, these things aren't happening. So what's actually going on in your church? Like, if you can have a church that goes week after week after week after week and nobody is saved, I mean, like, I actually have to ask the question, like, what are you doing as a church? Like, what are you doing? Now, I know there's churches that, um, yes, Akursa said it's relative. A church with a body of 3,000 will see 100. But, you know, with a church of 200, shouldn't it be normal to see like 10 salvations any given Sunday? Yes. One of the things I do appreciate about the church we attend, Abundant Life, is that every Sunday, you know, when Bishop gives an altar call for salvation, people are saved. People come to the altar and pray the prayer of salvation. And it should be that way. You know, it should be that way. Um, You know, just even let alone, you know, aside from evangelistic outreaches, just in your Sunday morning services, people should be bringing unsaved people and they should be getting saved. I mean, that's just the most basic of basic concepts. The problem really is that we have taught or trained a generation of believers that evangelism is not important, personal evangelism, that bringing unsaved people. I'll tell you another problem that we have, even in Pentecostal churches. One of the, one of the troubles that we have is that our people don't trust the ministers that run the churches. They may not trust them to not say something crazy or offensive. And I don't mean preaching the gospel. I mean, stuff that preachers say out of their soul. That's just, it doesn't need to be said. And it's just offensive. They don't trust that that won't happen. And let me tell you something, intelligent people aren't going to bring other intelligent people to hear you be a moron or be condescended to it. Just, it's not going to happen. You're you're, all you're going to have is a group of people that that's all they've been talked to their whole life is that way. And they're used to it. So they stay, but you're not going to have intelligent people come to your church that do that. And then there, there, I actually had a call with somebody once and they said, I've come three separate times. Uh, and I've, I've never had, I've never seen an altar call. I've never seen, talk to a person. They said, I've never, I, I've at my church, I attended this new church like three separate times. Uh, and they never once gave an altar call for salvation. Well, that is a problem. If you don't even give the opportunity for people to be saved, no one's going to be saved. Do the math. There's not an opportunity. There won't be fruit. And so so one of the problems is, is the people of the church either don't trust that their friend will have an opportunity to be saved, or they don't trust that the minister that they're, which I don't know why they'd even stay in the church, but they do. Trust me, they do. And they say, well, you know, uh, I just, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know that my pastor is not going to say something crazy when I bring my friend or when I bring, he's going to say something offensive or crazy or be condescending. And I just don't want them to experience that. That happens. So ministers obviously have to get their act together. But on the other side of that, they've been trained that evangelism is, personal evangelism is not that important. And that's why many people aren't bringing people to church. Uh, Not that that should be our only means of seeing people saved. We have evangelistic outreaches. We have all kinds of things. But in just the basic week to week, it's not really happening. And the statistics prove it's not happening. So they had this idea. Let's create a movement that seeks to see church growth. Good idea. That's a good idea. But how they went about it was the wrong way. 
how they went about it was the wrong way. So if you've ever been to a seeker sensitive church, obviously anything offensive is going to be removed, which, you know, depends on what offense, what offends you. Because if you stop talking about things that are scriptural and, and gospel, because you think it might be offensive to a person, that's a problem. That's a problem. So I don't mind if you remove the fluff, somebody getting up doing the announcements and takes 20 minutes because they're just talking and saying a bunch of nonsensical stuff or getting off track or saying something that's, you know, offensive or stupid or soulish. I don't mind getting rid of that. But if then you're going to say, well, we should change the way that we present the Bible. We should change our, our, uh, our verbiage to, uh, to mirror a more seeker sensitive atmosphere. Like for example, I actually heard somebody in this, um, in this vein, telling younger ministers, don't really think about what you're saying. You know, you've got visitors in the room. Don't say things like, you know, how many are glad that you're washed in the blood? Don't say that because, you know, they, the visitor who's never been to church might think, do they wash people in blood in this church? Is it a cult? And the real truth of it is, yes, we do wash people in blood. It's the blood of Jesus. They don't want you to talk about the blood. It's gruesome. They don't want you to display a cross. It's gruesome. It's a form of torture and punishment. They don't want you to uh, sing things about the Holy Ghost or speak in tongues because that's weird to the seeker. And so now you're in a problem because now the problem is you've removed the blood, you've removed the cross, and without the cross and the message of the cross and the message of the blood, there's no uh, forgiveness of sin. And then they've removed the Holy Ghost so they don't want you speaking in tongues because that's weird to a, a visiting unbeliever. So the problem is I don't, remind, I don't mind removing the fluff and I love the idea of church growth, but at what cost? There's the question. At what cost are we going to see that type of church growth? The other thing that they've done, now now this is what I wanted to get into today, because the other thing that they've done, which is extremely dangerous, is that they've taken the message of the word and watered it down extremely so that it's palatable to an unbeliever, so that it would be non-offensive to an unbeliever. So now we have this, which which sprung up, you know, in the... Um, we saw it more and more from the late eighties, early nineties. It sprung up the, the topical series and I'm not against series. Don't think I'm saying that if your pastor preaches a series that it's I'm not saying series are wrong, but what watch what happened in the seeker sensitive churches. We came into a place of a topical series environment. That's very, very shallow that never gets into the doctrine of the word. Now I can prove this to you because we now live in a generation that is completely devoid of proper Bible doctrine. They don't know Bible doctrine. They don't know what they believe. It's one of the reasons the Lord led me to start Miracle Word University is because people don't know what they believe about Bible doctrines because it's not taught in churches anymore because that's not attractive to the crowd. You see what I mean? That's not attractive to the crowd. Um, you know, my opinion about this, I disagree with it. I'm not condemning you if you do it or if your church has done it. I would never do it. But like, you know, one pastor was like, okay, this portion of the year 
is this is the least attended part of our year for our church. So what can I do to get more uh, butts in the seats in my church during this portion of the year? And he came up with the idea of at the movies, the at the movies series. And so, you know, watching clips from popular blockbuster films in your church and then trying to take a biblical, uh, um, you know, uh, lesson, if you will, from that clip of that movie, you know, whether it's Home Alone or The Matrix or whatever classic movie you want to watch in your church and then putting up, you know, in these and then churches took it all over the nation. We all need to do at the movies series. It would be a cold day in hell before I would need to play movies in church in order to preach a message. I mean, like, that's a problem. Like, why do we need to go grab a secular movie? You know, it always makes me laugh because like when you argue any of this stuff, people are always like, well, you do realize, don't you, that when Paul went to Athens, you know, he used the secular statue to the unknown God to preach the gospel to the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers in Athens. Not the same thing, genius. Not the same thing. First of all, he didn't go into his own church that he was pastoring. He walked into the place where they were all sitting around philosophizing and having their, and they received him to hear what he had to say in their own place. So he looked around for something that he could use as an example and saw that they had many gods and statues of many gods and saw that they had one dedicated to an unknown God so that they wouldn't offend a God that they didn't know about. So in a place that was secular, he said, well, you see here, you've got a statue to an unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. He didn't take them into his church and say, now let's play a blockbuster movie. It's like, it's not the same thing. It's like people are, are I, I can't understand people. It's not the same thing. You know, well, Jesus used parables and that's pretty much the same thing as playing a movie. We're just using it as, it's not the same thing. Why would you equate the stories that were divinely inspired by the Holy Ghost spoken by God in the flesh to, to home alone? It's like, bro, you've lost your mind. You've lost your freaking mind. And so we have people, so what, what we have is this real, surface level teaching that number one, won't offend anybody. Number two, it doesn't really challenge anybody. You know how I know? Because you can be an unbeliever and go to those churches for two years, still living in your sins and never feel challenged to change your life. That's a problem. There's a reason why people couldn't listen to Jesus one time and not either get offended or change their life. The reason was because he preached it in such a strong way, not a way of offense, not not in a mean way to offend people, but in a way to prick their hearts with the Holy Spirit. You have to draw a line in the sand. You realize that the gospel is not a message that brings together. The gospel is a message that divides. Do you realize that? Jesus said that about himself. He he said that that was the purpose of his ministry. He didn't come to bring everybody together. He came to bring a division. The division is in the same in the Old Testament when Joshua drew a line in the sand and said, hey, who's on the Lord's side? If you're going to be on the Lord's side, come on this side of the camp. If not, stay on that side. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There's a line drawn in the sand where you have to make up your mind. I don't care if the way that I live is offensive to the world. I'm not changing the way that I live to make you comfortable. 
I'm not changing the verbiage of the gospel so that you won't be uncomfortable. Remember this, when certain people come into church, they should be very uncomfortable. Not uncomfortable because the parking lot attendant was a, was a jerk. Not uncomfortable because the greeter ignored them. Not uncomfortable because the usher uh, was rude. Not uncomfortable because your worship leader says weird things. But uncomfortable because when they're sitting in the presence of the Lord and the word is being preached, that they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, guess what? It should make you uncomfortable. It should make you uncomfortable. No question about it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what conviction really is. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in your life that needs to change. Especially if you're uh, especially if you're a Christian and you feel convicted about something you did or, you know, or something you said, whatever it might be. It's not that you're a sinner again and need to get saved. It's just that the Holy Spirit's convicting you of your righteousness and where to repent according to the scripture, first John, where to repent. And so what, what does that mean? It means we ask for forgiveness. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. So, but if you're a sinner, <laughs> And sitting in the house of God and the word is being preached. And trust me when I tell you, trust me when I tell you, there should be a very, very uncomfortable feeling in your spirit from conviction. You know, the fact that we have gotten rid of that in seeker sensitive churches is a massive problem. You know what I mean? Because that's what they want. They want people to come in go through the whole service, come back week after week after week and feel extremely comfortable. Extremely comfortable. And it doesn't work like that. And it shouldn't work like that. The gospel does not bring things together. It brings a division. Choose this day who you will serve. And listen, What's crazy, what's truly crazy in my mind is that we think it's okay for people to come and stay at church week after week and never change, which is happening in many, many places. People are coming to church week after week after week and there's no change in their life. They can stay a sinner. They can stay the way they've always lived and still come to church and never feel any, feel badly about it. It's like, yeah, man, it's just me. You know, that's me. It's like, bro, you can't, we have developed churches that are not places of deliverance. They're not places where the gospel's preached. They're not places where the Holy ghost is free to move. I mean, forget about, I mean, if we just forget about, uh, the doctrinal part, Think about the fact that there are full gospel churches that don't want people praying in tongues in their church. They don't want the Holy Spirit even to move in their churches at all. So like what in the world is going on that we have churches that are supposed to be full gospel, 
that are supposed to be Holy Spirit filled that don't even want. They're even in denominations that are full gospel denominations, but they don't want the Holy Spirit to move in their churches. That's a problem, man. That's a massive problem. Let me show you one of the things that really caused, and of course, I saw somebody post John 8, 32, and I totally agree. The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Well, the truth can't set you free if you don't know the truth. That's the problem. The truth can't set you free if you don't know the truth. And in many of our churches, the truth is not being preached. It's not being preached. And that was their, that was their answer. Well, let's craft a message that's uplifting. See, there's, listen to this. There's a problem when, when your message is always only uplifting. Think about that. There is a problem when your message is only ever uplifting. Because we should not only be exhorting people or, or lifting them up, encouraging them, but we should also be correcting and reproving people. Think about that. We should be correcting and reproving people. And I've talked about this. Correction's a great thing. Correction is just direction. Correction is just direction. And there should be correction in our churches. There should be reproof in our churches. But because we're in this environment where we don't want to offend anybody, many times you're not going to hear correction. You're not going to hear reproof. You're not going to have anybody question. Think about it. You're not going to have anybody question your actions. Oh, we don't want, I wouldn't want to offend them. It's not really my business. We're supposed to reprove. We're supposed to correct. We're supposed to rebuke. I've been to churches that are so weak in their, in their structure that people can literally come in to the service and do whatever they want, whatever they want. And nobody stops them. I was in a revival one time. I was in a revival and a guy was coming through, you know, people were like, you know, praising God or whatever. And this dude just starts, um, <laughs> and this made me laugh and it made me irritated because I was about to preach. But this guy started by doing like a Jericho march by himself around the sanctuary during the service. It was during the praise and worship. Lift your hand in the comments if you know what a Jericho march is. If you're familiar with the term Jericho march. We used to do that when I was, was a kid. People would just start all marching around the church, you know, all together. Well, this guy had nobody with him. He was just by himself on his own. Jericho march. And he was just, you know, you, you could tell he was weird and he was just literally doing his own thing, you know, around the church. Well, then it got weird, weirder. He started slowing down and like stumbling around the church and he was doing laps, you know, walking. Then the next time I see him coming across the front of the sanctuary and I'm, I'm on the front row preparing my spirit to preach. The next two times he comes through, he's crawling on his hands and knees that's his Jericho march, crawling on his hands and knees across the front of the church. I couldn't take it anymore. I wasn't the pastor, but I got a hold of a head usher and I was like, tell that man to get up off the ground and go back and sit in his seat and don't do anything else weird while I'm here. Now, you can test the spirit of a person to see if what they're doing is truly in the Holy Ghost 
or not being led by the Spirit by their attitude when they're corrected. If they were truly being led by the Spirit of God, and it was it was truly in you know a form of worship unto the Lord, if they were given a correction and asked to stop and asked to go back to their seat, then they would say they'd be fine with it because they weren't doing it to be seen by men. They weren't doing it out of pride, whatever. They were just, they were, you know, but this dude crawling all over the church and I asked to tell him, go back to your seat and sit down and don't be going around the church anywhere. You're, it's a distraction. So he's told, well, he gets off, he throws a fit. He goes back to the back and folds his arms. He's back there in a huff. He's upset. He's mad. Well, it wasn't in the spirit of God. You're just a dude that's weird that wanted every, you wanted everybody to see you in your little crawly crawl around the church. You're just a weirdo. But why did here's the question I want to ask you. Why did I as the visiting evangelist have to be the one to say something to this guy who who went to that church? Why did I as the visiting evangelist have to be the one to take the to make the correction? Why did the pastor not tell an usher to do it? Why did a head usher who's in charge of these things or security or whatever speak to the guy and say, hey, quit slowly crawling in circles around the church and distracting everybody's worship? Because you can't tell me that everybody's just like, oh, amen, he's worshiping. Let's all just, everybody's just like watching to see like what this dude is doing. Like why? Why is this dude just crawling around the church? Nobody's engaging in worship at that point. You're all just watching him. So here's the question. If the guy's actions are actually taking people out of their worship experience and taking people out of the presence of God, is that of God or is that of the flesh? And the answer obviously is that that's not of God, it is of the flesh. Because God's never going to do something that distracts you away from the corporate worship that's being led. He's never, you know, God's not here to confuse us. You know, he's He's not working against his own plan. He's not a schizophrenic. God is a God of order. And so he's not going to come into your own service that he's anointing and then distract everyone's attention away from worshiping him to watch some weird dude crawl around on the ground. But notice that there wasn't enough authority there to stop it from happening. And so it's so loose in many of our churches because we don't want to offend anybody we don't want to, so you've got sister so-and-so with her leotard that hasn't been washed in six weeks with her golf bag of praise dance flags that she's brought in and has to do it in front of the church. Did you ever notice all of the people that do prophetic praise flag dances that are like independent rogue dancers? They're not like, I'm not talking about people that are a part of the church dance team when the church dance team is doing a dance. I'm talking about somebody that comes in with their own thing and decides to do their own flag dance independently of anything else that's going on. Did you ever notice that these people always have to do it at the front of the church, at the altar in front of everyone, even though they're not a part of the worship, they're not a part of the team, they're just a rogue dancer. Did you notice that they never ever do it in the back of the church where it wouldn't distract anybody's worship? Ever notice that? Did you ever think that maybe the reason that they have to do it in the front, in front of everybody's eyes, is because it's not of the Holy Ghost, it's a form of pride, and they need people to see them in their flaggy, dancy glory. 
Did you ever think of that? Because if in, in all my experiences, if anyone's ever been asked to go and do it in the back so they don't distract others, they get offended, they get angry, they stuff their flags back in their little golf bag with wheels and storm out of the church. But notice, we don't want to do these things anymore because we don't want to offend people. We want a seeker atmosphere. But remember this, a seeker atmosphere produces chaos. There's no order. There's no authority. There's no correction. There's no reproof. It's a free-for-all. And if it's not a free-for-all in the natural, trust me when I tell you it's a free-for-all in the spirit. What do I mean by that? It means people can come in with whatever spirit they want to come in with and just do whatever they want and there's no correction. There's no word of correction preached. People just do what they want to do. They live how they want to live. They live in sin. They live in wickedness and they never feel that they need to change because they're in a seeker environment where it's never preached that you need to change or that sin will send you to hell. And now what we've done is we've created a doctrine that we can use that doesn't offend anybody. Well, what's what's the doctrine? There's the question. What's the doctrine that we have created or that, I mean, it's been around since the Bible was written, but what's the doctrine that we've created that makes everybody feel comfortable? It's hyper grace. Do you see the connection there? It's hyper grace. Why do I say that? I say it because if you look at the hyper grace doctrine, the doctrine says that your decisions don't matter, that you can do whatever you want to do and your life is the same and it won't affect your life with God, won't affect your relationship with God, won't affect your eternal destination. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. It's not about your actions. It's about his blood and all this stuff. And we've now created a doctrine, you see, that allows us to have a seeker environment at all times. How wonderful would that be to, to, to literally have that kind of a thing to our flesh? Oh no, you can get drunk every night and still come to church and everything's cool. It's not about what you do, brother. It's about what he did. I mean, you can go through every sin you want to go through that people are comfortable in and the hyper grace message tells us it's not about what we do, brother. It's get high if you want to get high. Hit those veins with some heroin. Snort a line of cocaine if you want. And if you think I'm exaggerating, it's not, I'm not talking about the people. We've had preachers exposed for doing this stuff. Preachers that preach. And you wonder, oh, I wonder why they're preaching the hyper grace message. Take a look behind the scenes and wonder why. Literally. Seriously. So, you know, we've created an environment of seeker sensitivity, and then we've created a doctrine of seeker sensitivity, which, by the way, is heresy. If you want to read a great book that debunks the foolish hyper-grace message, read Dr. Michael Brown's book, Hyper-Grace. I've recommended it many times. It's the best book on the subject. It's scriptural. It's accurate. And it shows you the errors. 
It's heresy. You can't live any way you want to live and go to heaven. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. If God's not looking at your actions and your deeds after you become a Christian, then what business did Jesus have showing up to the churches in the book of Revelation and saying, I know your deeds and you don't love me like you once did. And if you don't go back to the original way you were doing things, I'll come back here and remove your candlestick from among the churches. Why would Jesus give a threat and a warning to a church and a group of believers for not having the deeds, the actions like they once did and telling them to correct that and go back to the way they used to live. It's because that's a lie. It's a lie. So what did we do? We created an environment. We created an environment where nobody's offended that we can just have this out and out uh, church growth, but we don't care how we get it because we just want as many people to get in the door as possible well, you might as well be Disney World because they don't care who's coming into Disney World. They're not doing a background check on you to make sure that, you know, you've never been arrested or, you know, they don't know what your life's like when you go buy a ticket to Disney World. They just want your money. They just want you in the park. They just want you in the park. And so, you know, of course, that I actually used to attend a church where the, the worship team posted bar and drinking pictures on Saturday night and the leadership never addressed it. Of course, it's happening all over the place. It's happening all over the place. We've got worship teams that are getting together as their hobby, brewing their own beers. I mean, it's like, bro, I'm blown away. But what happened is, is that there's this erroneous thought process that we need to make the gospel. Let Let me explain to you. I'll go there in a second. I want to show you this first. Acts chapter 2. I want to show you about what it was, one of the things that it was that caused, and I'll read you all of them, that caused the church to explode in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 through 47. Listen to this. And they devoted themselves, first thing, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first thing that's listed in the reasons for their explosive, their explosive growth, the explosion of the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. One translation says the apostles' doctrine. Paul wrote back letters to the churches. Other epistles, don't forget what we taught you. Don't forget the word we brought to you. Don't stop living like we showed you to live. That was an instruction. Look at this to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Where's the wonders and signs today? I mean, we see them, but why aren't churches seeing them? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising the Lord and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So there you have it. You know, one of the first things that we see, they continued in the apostles doctrine and the fellowship, the breaking of bread going to the temple daily, 
They stayed in the form that kept them growing. And it was growing the right way to the point where all the believers were casting out demons and seeing signs and wonders and miracles, not just the preachers. They had believers that were out doing it. And that was a promise of Jesus, by the way. So the problem we've had is that we've created this system where you can do anything that you want to do. We just want to create an environment for people to come and be, and be entertained. Now, one of the things I want to say to you is this, is that it's always a mistake. And I'm not, know this, when I say this, I'm not preaching about or talking about preaching a, in a way that is, you know, relevant to what's going on in the day that is appropriate for the hour. I'm not talking about, um, you know, using, you know, relevant, uh, illustrations or things that people will understand. Jesus did that. What I'm talking about is when you take the gospel, take the word of God and you try to change it to be more appealing. Do you see what I mean? There are churches that are changing the gospel to try to make it more appealing to an unsaved world. You don't have to make the gospel appealing. I like what Dr. Reinhard Bonnke said. He said, bread is always relevant to a starving man. Put that in the comments. Put that in the comments. Love you, Kofi. Bread is always relevant to a starving man. You don't, if you've got a dude that hasn't eaten in seven, eight days, somebody that hasn't eaten in 15 days, and you come up to them and say, now I've got a loaf of bread here, but let me describe to you the bread. The crust is so nice and crunchy, but the inside of the bread is so beautifully soft and airy. It has a wonderful aroma. You're going to really enjoy the way that this bread was baked. Like, you don't have to sit there and describe the bread. You don't have to tell or sell the bread to the man. You don't have to sit around and describe where the dough came from or what kind of water they used in making the dough. The, the dude doesn't care if it's organic or if it's got preservatives. If he's a starving man and he sees that you're just giving him food and sustenance, he'll devour it. He'll devour it. Bread is always relevant to a starving man. And the gospel, when properly preached, is the bread of life to the starving that are dying in the world. Those that are dying. See, one of the things you got to catch is that um, people, and this is one of the reasons I believe Jesus taught about sinners who were um, s sinners who were rich. The Bible says it's uh, Jesus taught that it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which freaked the disciples out because they were wealthy and they said, Lord, then who can be saved? See, understand the reason Jesus said it is because people who are rich and have no needs in the natural, you, it's a, you have a harder time convincing them that they need Jesus because they say, well, I've got everything I need. I got plenty of food. I got a house to live in, got great cars, got a great college fund for my kids. I got a great retirement account. We got everything we need. We live in abundance. We don't need God. That's why Jesus said it, not because riches are bad, but because people who can't see their needs, see, that's the problem. I want you to understand this. People who can't see their need. I want to see if I can find this quote for you. I'll get it for another broadcast, but let me give you the, um, let me give you the, uh, the, the, 
basically the gist of the quote. Because they can't see their need, this is the importance of the gospel. There was a famous preacher who basically said that it's important for ministers to know this. You have to preach people to hell before you can preach them to heaven. You've got to preach people to hell before you can preach them to heaven. What does that mean? You have to show them. See, there's a reason. The Bible says godly sorrow brings repentance. There, especially for people in this generation. Let me tell you, in 2020, there's nobody on in our generation. You go look at Facebook, Instagram. You go look at TikTok. You go look at anybody. There's nobody in this generation that's ashamed of sin. I'm talking about Christians. As Cora was saying, as others were saying, there's nobody in this generation, very few people are sorrowful for sin. Most people just post their sin on social media and brag about it. They don't care. Even sinners, things that used to be shameful aren't shameful anymore. You know, it's like it used to be shameful. You have to, back in the day, like even pornography was shameful. Think about that. Even back in the day, pornography was shameful. If you went to a video rental store, I'm sure many of you are old enough to remember, there was a section of the store where there was like behind a black curtain or whatever. You know, it was like, it was like shameful, you know, you even pornography. Now people celebrate the fact that they watch pornography. They'll watch it They'll, they'll on the way to their, you know, whatever, uh, bachelor party in their stretch limo. They've got pornography going inside on the televisions inside the limo. They've got it blasting and they don't care. Openly people open. It, what used to be shameful has become standard as the word, as the world degrades. And people are broadcasting their sin. They love sin. They don't care. And the Bible prophesies that this would come to pass. People will be lovers of themselves. They will be wicked. They will be haughty, unable to be corrected, disobedient to their parents. All the things that were prophesied that are happening now, people aren't ashamed of their sin. And in this day and age, people don't think anything's wrong with them. And if you tell people that you need to have a savior, people are like, I'm not, nothing wrong with me. You can't judge me. I'm a good person. You don't know me. That's the, that's the attitude we have today. You don't know me. You, you can't judge me. You, you, you don't know my life. I'm a good person. You don't, I don't, I don't need to be, be what you, and, and that's exactly what we face all over the place today because people have a veil pulled over their eyes. They cannot see their wickedness. They cannot see the fact that they're dead in trespasses and in sins. And an uplifting message isn't going to help anybody. An uplifting message isn't going to help anybody. We just want to give you, we want to encourage you today. That's great for Christians. What do you do for sinners? What do you do for sinners? Because sinners don't need an uplifting message. Sinners don't need an encouragement. They're dead. That would be like going to a, a graveyard and opening up your Bible and looking down at all the tombstones and I just want to encourage all you guys today. I know you're in a dark place right now. I know you're in a place where you feel like you've not seen the light of day. <laughs> it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. And we think that we that we're going to bring people into the kingdom by just preaching an encouraging message. That's why I thought that that quote is so important and I'll find the exact quote for you. But the quote, basically the gist of the quote, you've got to preach them to hell before you can preach them to heaven. Why? Because they need to see that they're dead, that they're on their way to hell, that Jesus is coming, that if they don't change their life and if they don't accept Jesus Christ 
as the Holy Spirit is prompting them to, they will die forever and be eternally lost. You've got to understand that there is consequence. There are consequences for the way you live. And so, you know, it's crazy to me that we've got, I actually heard, I heard a, um, I heard a seeker sensitive pastor that said, and I'd have to verify this, but I heard him say this, that the Lord appeared to him and rebuked him. He was one of the leaders of the seeker sensitive movement. One of the leaders and said, the Lord appeared to him and said, if I came back today, 70% of your church wouldn't go to heaven. And he said, it hit him. It struck him so strong in his spirit because he realized what he had let his church become. Exactly what I'm talking about. A church that doesn't preach repentance or talk about sin, a, a church that won't tell the truth. And as a result, you've got people that can come that never feel the need to change. And it's displeasing to God. And it's, it's dangerous to the person in the seat. Because they're on their way to hell and nothing that's going on can change that. Have you heard some of the prayers that are prayed at altars in America today when people come forward? Preachers don't even know how to lead people to Jesus. Have you ever heard some of the stupid stuff that's said today? Father, we just feel so alone. And we've realized that we don't want to do life alone, Lord. We want to do life with you. So Lord, we just want to be part of the team. It's like, do what the Bible says. Learn how to lead. Some, you are a preacher. Learn how to lead somebody to Jesus properly. There are actual prerequisites, you know. You do have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You do have to repent of your sin. You do have to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, there is, there are actual prerequisites to salvation. It's not just say whatever you want and magically you're in the kingdom. There is, there is something you have to do, but, but unless you, unless we have a word that brings conviction, no one will change. Nobody will change. You look at what's going on in the world right now. A generation of people that grew up with no discipline, a generation that grew up basically fatherless. And I'm not talking about black people. I'm talking about white people, black people, Puerto Ricans, Brazilians. I'm talking about everybody. A fatherless generation that grew up with no discipline, that just were raised, they latchkey children that just sat in front of the television every day while their parent worked because their parent was left alone and they had to do that to make ends meet. This is why the devil hates fathers and hates spiritual fatherhood and hates authority. Because now you got people in the streets that are destroying the world and don't think for a minute that they give any kind of a care for George Floyd or anybody else that's been uh, unjustly murdered. They don't care at all. Don't act like they do because they don't. It's a generation of people that are just happy to have no authority, anarchy, that want to overthrow authority for the purpose of overthrowing authority because they hate authority because they grew up with a lack of it. It's never been ingrained in them. And now they're running wild and running wicked as the Bible says people do. And if you don't like that, you don't understand what's going on. And I don't care about being blocked or, or unfollowed in this, in this, the day and age we're living in. I don't care at all. I don't care at all because we're looking at a fatherless generation with no authority. They hate authority. They hate structure. They hate order because they've never had it. They don't understand how it helps. 
They don't understand what it does. And we've let that creep into the church so that there's not even authority. We've got churches now that are pastored by committee for crying out loud. Who's your, who's your pastor? Well, we don't really use a lead pastor. We just have kind of like a pastor, a pastoral staff. You know, we have like a, what we really have is a, we just pastor by committee. We have a group of guys that pastor. It doesn't work. Anything with more than one head is a monster. Just remember that. Put it in the comments. Anything with more than one head is a monster. There is spiritual leadership. Notice when the, the, the letters were going out, this goes to the angel of the church of, not an actual angel, the pastors that were pastoring those churches. And so it needs to be said. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it, Amanda. God isn't in the room when you receive a bad for your doctor, but he's using this to humble. It's like, they don't know God. They don't know God. They don't know who he is. They don't know his nature. A loving God corrects his children. A loving father corrects his children. Correction is good. Where's the preaching about hell? Where's the preaching about sin? Where are the men of God in our generation who have to stand up? That's one of the reasons that I only associate with certain people. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to get in with every crowd. I have zero desire to get in with all these, uh, you know, I have zero desire. That's why I have friends that will actually preach the truth. And I don't have a, t- you know, that's why I love my cousin Jonathan so much. It's like why I love my friend Joel Stock still so much, you know, and all, my friend Cody Spencer, others that are, that I actually have friendship with that will actually preach the word and not care what people think about it. You have to tell the truth. Everything can't just be an uplifting uh, message with a nice story that makes you chuckle. You've got to preach in a way that gets people saved. Preach in a way that causes conviction to come. Call sin, sin. Well, people might come, not come if we do that. Good. The Bible says that the path is narrow and straight and few there be that find it. Doesn't mean we can't have church growth. There's 7 billion people in the world. 7 billion people. You know, when you can have uh, the ice capades come to town or when you can have, you know, in, in days gone by, a circus come to town, when you can have a concert come to town, don't tell me that, well, you know, we just live in a place where there's not a lot of people. Then how can you have a country concert come to town and there's 30,000 people there? How can you have a country act come to town, even in a small place, and there's 13,000 people there, but you're satisfied with 30 people in your church? Meanwhile, well, there's just not a lot of people. Well, there's enough people to fill a 13,000-seat auditorium for a country act. I mean, it blows my mind. Don't tell me it's because there's not people to be saved. There's seven-plus billion people in the world, and... At this point, there's plenty. You know, people get all caught up on one person. Reap the harvest. But don't sacrifice the truth of God's word to fill the church's seats. It's destroyed an entire generation. So well, I don't know I don't know why that the statistics are telling us that the average Christian when they turn 18, they leave church to never come back again. I know why. It's because those statistics don't tell you what types of church they're leaving. But I guarantee you this, they're leaving churches that are dead and dry, that have no fire of the Holy Ghost, and they've never had an encounter with God. That's why they're leaving. 
I wouldn't leave a church at 18. You know why? Because when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I was at the altar and I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and I know what's real and I know what's false. So why would they come to, I wouldn't go to a dead church myself. I I would never attend a dead church. I would stay home. In fact, I would actually find a church that's alive, but I would rather stay home than go to a dead church for the sake of being in church because God's not there. His his spirit is not uh, being allowed to operate. They're forbidding speaking in tongues. They're despising prophesying. They don't even allow, you know. So what are you going to do? You're going to go to a church like that where where, where the Bible, they're actually doing the things the Bible commands us not to do as believers? You're going to find an on-fire church. I know why people are leaving. I'd leave too. But that doesn't relieve you of the responsibility to find a church that's on fire. And shame on those pastors that won't preach the truth. They'll answer to God one day. But until then, let me tell you something. I'm going to be in a place where the fire of God is. And I'm going to be in a place that values the souls of men and women and isn't afraid to preach the truth and talk about sin and talk about salvation. Got to have it. You've got to have it. Yes, where you go to church absolutely matters. Absolutely matters. Without question. And so I'm just encouraging you right now. This is what's going on in America. It's what's going on in our world. We've got churches all over the place that are afraid. They're scared. They're scared to preach the truth because they know people will leave. I would rather have people leave and rebuild my church on people who are truly hungry to have a life change and who are thankful about the forgiveness they've received from the Lord, knowing that they're now free of their trespasses and sins. And so I don't, I don't ever want you to think, you know, because people say, well, you know, these churches are big. You know, shame on the small-minded pastors and churches that always have to point out, well, you know, they're big churches, but they're really not doing anything. You know, they're seeker-sensitive. Like, okay, you think those are the only big churches in America? You think the only big churches in America are the ones that, that aren't preaching the word, that are secret? The only reason they're big is because they're not real like us. Well, if you're so real, how come it drove so many people, it's driven so many people away from you, whereas Jesus was real, realer than you, and had multitudes following him? What do you think? I mean, honestly, let's think about it logically. If we do what the word says and do what Jesus commanded us to do, it's going to drive people away from him? Or is it going to draw people to him? He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Did Jesus ever have a problem drawing a crowd? Never. Never. Houses were packed. Fields were packed. Wilderness was packed. 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and the children. 7,000 men doesn't include the women and the children. Jesus never had an issue drawing a crowd. And he was realer than any of those preachers. So, well, the reason we don't have people is because we preach the truth. Oh, yeah, like Jesus didn't preach the truth. He preached the truth and people flocked to him. So don't tell me that the reason people don't come to your church is because you preach the truth. I guarantee you that's not the reason that they don't come. And so it's important 
It's important to see people saved. It's important for the church to grow. But it's also important for us to stay on target with what we're preaching. Preach the word, correct, reprove, rebuke, exhort. All of those are necessary. And I just want you to hear this from me because I refuse to be a part of a a generation of Christians that just sits around glossing over what the Bible teaches. I'm not going to gloss over, neither should you, glossing over what the Word of God teaches. Well, you know, we don't really focus. I've actually had people say this. You know, we don't really focus, you know, we stay on the main thing, which is Jesus. We don't really do a whole lot about the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Spirit or healing. We like to just focus on Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. You can't focus on Jesus without preaching the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, healing, miracles, and deliverance. You can't do it because Jesus himself couldn't even function as in his own ministry without healing, miracles, signs, wonders. And he said of himself, I'm not finished yet. I'm going to go into heaven and ascend into heaven. And then I'm going to pray to the father and he's going to send you another comforter. And when he comes, he'll be with you forever. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. And you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So you can't tell me that we just stick to the main thing. We just preach Jesus. And you can't talk about the Holy Ghost or healing or miracles or signs and wonders because it's impossible to stick to Jesus and not have the Holy Ghost. It's impossible to stick to Jesus and not talk about healing. It's impossible to stick to Jesus and not talk about signs, wonders, miracles, blessing because he did it. And it was his command to us. The works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these. Because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven, which means I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. So don't tell me, well, brother, we just focus on the main thing. Like I'm so tired of hearing this foolishness from people that should know better. And we, we've basically, and I understand that, that ministers are going to be held accountable. They will be held accountable by the Lord himself. But I'm just encouraging you right now. Two things. Number one, if you're in a church like that, get out of a church like that. Don't stay in those foolish places where they don't see souls saved. They don't preach the word. It's always just some surface thing. It's just, it's insane. And we got people that are dying and going to hell and we just want to go to have an at the movies series. Jesus help me. Have an at the movies series. Well, we're going to show you a few clips from this recent film. Then we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Because I think that there's some wonderful lessons that can be learned from The Hangover Part 3. It's like, give me a break. Give me a break. Preach the word with boldness. Tell people what's happening. Tell people what's happening. Tell people what's coming. Jesus is coming. Can you not see the signs of the times? Can you not see what's going on in our world? Can you not understand that we're seeing all over the world the signs of Jesus' second coming, his return? Can you not see it? It's happening. I did a, I did a video just, what, a broadcast maybe a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, talking about the fact, when I was in New York, talking about the fact that we're seeing multiple signs. I listed three that we're seeing of the end times just in the month of June, all at one time we're seeing them. Go back and watch that if you missed it. 
And think about the fact Jesus is coming. And we got people that are, who knows what they're talking about? Nonsense, complete nonsense. And they're afraid. They're shaking behind their pulpits with their little spineless message. Get a backbone is exactly right. And preach the truth and stop caring if it's Instagrammable and if it's tweetable. Please. Stop caring if it's, well, man, he really, you know, I told you the other, what is it, a couple weeks ago, we had a problem that I noticed when all the churches went to live stream, I've noticed so many preachers that are not good unless there's a crowd in the room. They're preaching for the M's. They want something they drop on you, some revelation they drop on you. Mm, They want to hear the whole crowd. Mm, There's nobody in this room with me right now. Just you on this camera. I'm looking into a lens and talking to you like you're right in front of my face. I'm not preaching for the M's. I'm not preaching for the shouts. I'm not preaching for the claps. I'm telling you the truth because it needs to be said. I don't have to have you in this room to preach the word to you. I'm doing it because it's true, not because I need to hear this. Not because I need to see an at reply on my phone when I'm done preaching. Wow, they really retweeted a lot of my quotes tonight. Who cares? Did you catch an impartation or did you not? Did you not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit or did you? Did you feel the power of God moving you into change or did you not? See. We preach to an actual end. We're looking for an actual end. Preaching is not the end. It's a means to an end. The end is salvation, baptism of the Holy Ghost, healing, deliverance, signs, wonders, miracles, provision. You see what I mean? These are the end. This is what God wants for your life through Christ. Preaching's not the end. Far be it from any preacher to just close the service in prayer. Minister to somebody. That was our word for the day. Bow your heads, Father. Minister to somebody. Preaching's a means to an end. Well, brother, the word is a seed in itself that does the work. Yeah, but understand something. Jesus used the word to build faith. Then he ministered to people. Same with the apostles. And if he got to a place where he couldn't just instantly start ministering to people, notice what he did. He'd then travel to their synagogues and preach and teach the word to get rid of their unbelief so he could minister to the people. Read Mark chapter 6. Minister to people. And I'm going to pray. Because hear what I say. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. There's people watching. There's people that will listen to this. We we have over a quarter of a million downloads on our podcast. There's people that listen to it around the world. There's people that watch this broadcast from all over the world. There's people that watch it that aren't saved. They jump on. They listen to what we're saying on Periscope. I have people telling me my wife is hot while we're doing a broadcast. (laughs) There's people that aren't saved. And so two things I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray for people that are watching. And I want you, if you're watching me today, hear me what I'm saying. Because time's running out. Look what's going on in the world. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. There's people you're watching me. You're not even ready to see Jesus when he comes. You're living in a life of sin. And I don't have to tell you you're in sin. You know you're in sin. I don't have to list your sins. You know that your life isn't right with God. You know that if Jesus came, you couldn't look him in the face. He's not your Lord. He's not your Savior. And if you're watching this or listening to this, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And all things 
can be made new. Literally, a prayer unto God in faith can change your life. Jesus loves you, died for you, gave his life so you could be free. If you're watching me or listening to me, and you know you need to pray this prayer, I want you to pray it with me right now. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for sending your son to die for me. I ask you now to forgive me of my sin and make me new. Give me the power to live for you. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe you raised him from the dead. And from this day forward, I receive salvation in Jesus' name. Give me the power and boldness to live for you for the rest of my life until I die or until you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you're watching this or if you're listening to this, this is what I want you to do. Go to our website, miracleword.com. When you get there, in the menu, you'll see a button that says, I just got saved. I want you to click on it. And in that on that page, we have some things that we want to give you absolutely free. We want to help you take next steps in your life with Christ. We want to show you what's next, help you if you need training, teaching, help, questions answered, whatever it might be. We want to be there to help you be discipled into the kingdom of God because we love you and we care about where you spend eternity and what's going on in your world right now. Father, I pray for those that are watching. I pray for those that are listening. Empower them today. Don't ever let us get to the place where we're embarrassed of the strength of our covenant or where we're embarrassed of the strength of your word or what it says and what it teaches. Let us be those that will say, we're on the Lord's side. We stand on the Lord's side, not ashamed that we serve God. Let us be the ones that declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we don't care what people think about it. Give us that kind of boldness. Give us that kind of strength, and let us be mighty soul winners before Jesus comes back. Mighty soul winners. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, Lord. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' wonderful name, everybody shout amen in the comments. Throw some fire if you believe it. Let me tell you this. People have already signed up. This is my gift to you. I'm sending this to everybody this month from Dr. Bill Winston. This is a powerful book on the power of your confession. It's called The Law of Confession. And uh, he's a phenomenal faith teacher. One of the best we have on the earth today, in my opinion powerful man of God. This is going to be uh, my gift to all of you that are partnering with us. And I want to say thanks to those that uh, are partnering with us. We love you and uh, really, really appreciate you. And then for those of you that are uh, standing with us at $1,000 or more, the brand new book, Further Faster, is available hardcover. It's going to be yours to say thanks. We appreciate it. Um, the whole video dropped. We still black. I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing it on my side. I'm not sure what's going on on your side. Not, not sure at all. Let me check myself to see what's going on. I'm seeing it currently, but maybe it's not. No, I see it. Facebook, you dropped? Are you still there? 
I don't have a black screen. I don't know what you guys are seeing. Um, but I do want to say this. We're going to give you an opportunity. Yeah, isn't that interesting? The book by Michael Brown, Carissa, was called Hyper Grace. It's a yellow book, yellow cover, black writing. Very easy to find. It's just called Hyper Grace, Dr. Michael Brown. It's really great. It's really great. Um, let me tell you this. Carol and I have been praying, and uh, God's been answering our prayers. And so let me just say this. <clears throat> We're encouraging you, if you've not done so yet, if you appreciate our ministry, everything the Lord's using us to do, know this, you're a part of it. And if you want to take a step of faith to join us in changing the world, can I encourage you today to partner with this ministry at whatever level the Lord is telling you to partner with us? What we ask people to do is $85 or more, but there may be people watching me that at this time you can't do that, but you can start at $50 a month or you know, $35 a month, whatever it is you can do. If you can step out and do $85 a month or more, I want to encourage you to do that. We are doing everything we can, as you know, to not just preach the gospel, but to bless the poor, feed the hungry, and also see signs, wonders, and miracles take place in this generation. And um, I want to say this, I appreciate and love everybody that's been standing with us in partnership. And maybe you're watching or listening and the Lord's prompting your heart to be one of those part of the victory tribe, believing God for miracles in your generation. It's very easy to do. Just go to miracleword.com. If you're listening on the podcast, you can swipe up and there's a link in the description that you can click that will take you there. But you can go to miracleword.com and you can click on the give page of the partner page and set up a monthly seed that you're sowing. Let me challenge you to do that because let me say this. One of the things that's important to know and to hear is that everybody can say that they're interested in seeing their generation changed. But the question you have to ask yourself is, what are you actually doing with your life, with your actions, with your sowing to show that you are standing to see a generation changed? And I've, I've said this before, and, and obviously, you know, there's never any pressure. We don't ask you to give because there's pressure. We don't ask you to give to pay any bills. We're not asking you to give because there's a project. We're asking you to give because you'll be blessed. You will be blessed for doing what the word of God says. But know this, when you understand what a seed is, a seed is you. I want you to put that in the comments real quick for everybody that wasn't scared when I mentioned finances and, and jumped off the broadcast. If you're still on, <laughs> put it in the comments, a seed is is me or put my seed is me because that's the truth. Your, what you sow is you. The money that you make, what it is that comes into your life from working the job that you work, you give them your life and your time and for your time and effort, they give you a paycheck. So when you sow from your finances, your seed represents you. It is you. It's your life. It's your time that you've given away in exchange for a paycheck. And so know this, my seed is me. There it is. Put it, my seed is me. Write it in the comments. So what you're really doing, remember this, when you sow a seed into the kingdom, and when you sow a seed into this ministry, you are actually giving a part of yourself into this ministry. Did you ever think about that? 
When you sow a seed, you are giving a part of yourself and your family into this ministry. You become Miracle Word. Did you ever think about that? You become Miracle Word Ministries in part by sowing because your seed is you. And when you sow it, you're investing you into Miracle Word Ministries and you take ownership. Everybody says, you know, it's easy to say, I'll pray for you. I'm standing with you. We're believing too. We want this. But what are you doing in practical action that proves you're ready to see a generation changed and saved? And see, partnership, that's what it's about. And I'm not, you know, I, I always grew up hating to hear those, those Southern broadcasts. We'd drive through the South. People would be on Christian radio. You know, you'd hear, we need you to call in today. We need 30 people to give $1,000. We need 300 people to give $100. It's like, we're going to be going on. It's it, just the pressure of it. I hated the pressure of even hearing those. That's why I thank God. He's blessed us to the place. We never have to put any pressure on you, but we give you an opportunity because see what happens when you sow, it brings that overwhelming blessing back to your life. It's a powerful thing. And so I'm encouraging you today to partner with me and with Carolyn, Miracle Word Ministries. You become Miracle Word as you sow. How do you do it? You can go to miracleword.com and you can click on the give page or the partner page and fill out the form and sow a monthly seed. If you're in the United States, you can use PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, all the information on the screen. Hashtag donate is even available for Twitter, Periscope, and Facebook in the comments section. But I'm telling you, I love and appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me today. I appreciate it. I'll be back again tomorrow. Don't forget, next week, if you're anywhere close to West Virginia, I'm joining my father who's setting up the tent, and we're going to be in Moorefield, West Virginia. Moorefield, West Virginia, Sunday through Friday of next week. Sunday through Friday. You don't want to miss it. If you're anywhere close, come and be a part of an outdoor crusade where we're going after the loss, and uh, God's going to move. And then, of course, in July, we're setting up the tent again in York, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's going to be great. All the information's online. Love to see you there if you can make it. Um, we appreciate and love you guys so much. If you didn't catch it at the beginning, Carolyn's book, getting ready to drop. And if you have the opportunity, go to shop.miracleword.com, buy a hundred copies, give them to strangers on the street. They'll be blessed. <laughs> I love you guys. Thanks for hanging out, man. I'll see you again in the morning, 1030. Have a blessed day. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.